Some of you guys know Paul Trout. Some of you don't. So I want to introduce him as a disciple of Jesus Christ, a disciple maker. He's a, a family man that loves his family and begins ministry at home in his neighborhood where it needs to begin. He leads a missional community. He's a pastor at the Heist Church of Hispanic Ministry. And I just want to share, he, he's got a heart for, for Mexico. And you mind if I razz you a little bit before you? Okay. I couldn't help but think about how God even named this guy appropriately. All right. Paul Trout. Okay. He leads schools of people down to Mexico. He's, he's a true fisher of men. <laughs> but I also pulled out a surprise that Paul didn't know we were going to have here this morning. This is Paul in the middle there. 1974 in Lima, Peru. I bring that out, one, to say he's been doing this for a while, but two, just to say, check out those chops and that sweet boat shirt, and to point out that that was the year before I was born. (laughs) So we we love Pastor Paul. He's a good friend of mine. He was at the Verge Conference, which turned our worlds upside down and led us into this chapter. We were sitting side by side, and we're on this journey together. So I look forward to him sharing from the Word and then sharing how we can apply it in a practical way this Christmas in Mexico. Let's welcome Pastor Paul Trout. Scott, I don't, I don't know where you got that picture. Was my wife involved in any of that? <laughs> Man. Oh. Well, let me tell you, I was wearing red bell-bottom pants, red and a big old belt with a buckle and all that. Man, we were really, what were we back then? Cool, I don't know. Hip, yeah. Wow. It's a great privilege to be with you all, and Scott and I have been talking, and I wanted to accomplish two things today. One, I want to encourage you. So if you'll allow me to bring a little bit of clarity to an issue that I face And hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. And also I want to talk about the Christmas project. So I'll do two things, okay? So would you bow your heads with me real quick? And let's just pray. I know we've been praying and we've asked the Spirit of God to be at work. And I just want to do that for my sake too. Uh, Right now, God, I pray that you will put the words in my mouth and that you will use your word to do what it's supposed to do. The washing of the word the encouragement of the word. I pray that that's what the word would do for us today as we recognize our mission. Lord, encourage each person who's here today in the great work that we have and that we serve a great God who does the impossible. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Let me start by just saying this. In my life, I've recognized two main weapons, I may say, of the devil. And it may be different from you, for you, but let me just share the two weapons the devil uses on me. They both start with D. They're easy to remember. Discouragement and distraction. That's what he uses on me. Discouragement like this. Don't do that. It, you've tried that before. That neighbor you're talking to, he's never going to. You're no Billy Graham. I mean, come on. Do you have the results that other people have? Come on, give it up. Discouragement. Distraction. This is a big one. Choosing lesser valued things over the best. See, when I'm, I'm going along a line and there's a, there's a choice to be made and I choose the one of lesser value. Guess where I am now? I'm down here. Then there's another choice. 
and I choose the one of lesser value. I'm down here. It's just down, down, down. And then the devil kicks in and goes, see, see what it's all about? You're no good. Why don't you just give up? Let the professionals do it. But the word tells me that I'm on mission, right? Our mission is to go and make disciples. Make disciples, the main, word, main verb. But how? By going, teaching, and baptizing. Making disciples. So I want to encourage you. So maybe some of you would look at some of the older folk and go, oh, they've got it all down. They're firing on all eight cylinders. I mean, these guys, you know, they just, they speak the word and people just fall down on their knees in repentance. It's not so. And what I need in my life each day from the word is I just need the Lord to speak to me and to remind me that he's the one at work. And here's the problem, though. We read verses like Jesus was walking along the lake and he called two fishermen and immediately they left their their ships and their net and followed Jesus. And I go, how could I ever be like that? How could I ever just have those kinds of results? But what I want to do is bring a little bit of clarity to something. We have four gospel writers and there's a reason why there's four. Two of them happen to mention the fact that Jesus, his first two disciples were the fishermen, and they left their nets and followed him immediately. And the devil whispers in my ear, well, you're no Jesus. You're not like Jesus. If that were the case, when you go over to talk to your neighbor who's working on his car, and you say, hey, why don't you come with me to my missional community, he'll drop his tools and just walk right over to your meeting. (laughs) I mean, if I was really like Jesus, isn't that how it would happen? Someone's at work, and you go, hey, come here, and they... Bye, boss. I got something more important to do. It doesn't happen that way. And I get discouraged and I go, why is it? But I believe, John said in John 21, many other things did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, but these are written. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The things that were included in the Gospels were for our benefit. They selected. They couldn't write. John said the world wouldn't contain the books, couldn't contain everything. But we've selected the ones that we want, and we've written them down. Why? So you will believe. So let me do this. I know you don't have your Bibles. Most of you don't have them, right? Let me just walk through the scenario of Jesus. We'll just pick one example of him approaching those fishermen, but from the perspective of another gospel. John begins his gospel by saying this. Jesus was the word. He came. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. But the first person in the book of John that we meet is a guy named John the Baptist. And he's a bit strange. He's out in the desert. He's preaching. The leaders send people out and say, who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that great prophet that Moses said in Deuteronomy would arise? He goes, no. Well, then who are you? And he says, I am simply a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I'm announcing the coming of someone greater. And one day, that greater person walks up. And we find in John chapter 1 that John is there. And he looks across as Jesus is walking up. And he makes a statement. You've heard the, the, the statement, the shot that was heard around the world. This was the sentence that was heard around the world. He looks at that man who is walking and he goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're from a Jewish background, right away, this would shock you. Why? 
Because for 2,000 years, the Israelites had been sacrificing animals. The best of the flock, the one without blemish. It began on Passover. And what did that do? It covered the sins of the person who was offering the sacrifice. That's what atonement means. For 2,000 years, sins had been covered and covered and covered and covered by every sacrifice. And John goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every Jewish person within earshot of that would go, hold it, something's different here. What's going on? That's never happened before. Never have sins been taken away. They've always been covered. It shocked two of John's followers. Two of those guys who were simply listening to John heard John point out that this was something new and different, and they went over to Jesus. Now, we're told, we're told the name of one of them. We're not told the name of the other. One of them was Andrew. And he went over with this other disciple of John, and they started following Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they said, Master, where do you live? He said, well, come and see. Jesus took them to his home, spent some time with them. The next day, Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon. Now, we're going to talk about Simon real quick. Simon. And he brings him to Jesus and says, well, he says, Simon, we found the Messiah. Come here, come meet him. And he came and he began talking with Jesus. I'm going to pick up the story in the book of Luke. If any of you have Bibles, it's Luke chapter 4. The next thing on the calendar of Jesus' ministry, he hasn't chosen any disciples yet. He's simply been out there meeting people. He's recognized as the Lamb of God. It shocks people. Luke chapter 4. Jesus came to the house of Simon. And Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever. And Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered. You know what we find Jesus doing? He meets Simon out on the hills, out where John the Baptist is preaching. He talks to him. He says, come over to my house. You want to know where I live? Come here. Come see. Spend some time with him. Then Jesus makes a point. The next thing on the calendar is he goes to his house. Peter has a need. His mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then he does something amazing. It was already late in the day. Verse 40. The sun was setting. All they that had sick with diverse diseases were brought. And he laid hands on them and healed them. All night long, Jesus was healing people outside of Simon's house. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have someone come visit your house, and then they, start, they set up shop right outside your house and do all the stuff that they do, you're probably going, in, you know, are they ever going to go home? Or, I mean, you know, what's going on with this guy? Peter's not a believer yet. He's simply having contact with this guy, Jesus, out in the woods or out by the hills, in his home. And this is very instructive. The next morning, Jesus had healed all night long. Next morning, he goes up into a mountain to pray. Talk about the power of prayer and the need for prayer. The next day, chapter 5. It came to pass, as the people pressed Jesus, it says, he went down and stood by the lake. Now, this is the lake where he calls his disciples. And he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Verse 3, he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. Third time he meets Simon. First out on the mountain, 
Then he goes to his house. Then he goes to his workplace. And he finds Simon over there working on his nets. And he goes, Simon, can I borrow your boat? <laughs> sure. It says, now, he pushed out a little from land and sat down and taught the people. Now, where is Simon? Simon's over taking care of his nets, fixing them, pulling all the seaweed out of them, getting them ready for another launch. And Jesus is in a boat preaching, talking to the people. Simon's listening. I find it very instructive. This thing of making disciples in the life of Jesus took multiple, multiple events before he finally came to the final calling. Verse 5, Simon said, Master, well, I'm sorry, verse 4, when he had done speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets. And Simon said, Master, we've toiled all night and we haven't taken in anything. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the net. This is instructive. Because here's Simon, who's had at least three encounters now with Jesus on a very personal level. He's been listening to Jesus. He listened to a whole sermon while he's working on his nets. And when Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, go out and fish. And he goes, hold it. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Why don't you stay in your area and I'll stay in mine? Is that what he said? No. He said, Lord, we have fished all night, but nevertheless at your word. You see, there had, he had developed a respect for this man, Jesus. He had already seen him three different times, and it was totally illogical to go back out since they had already fished. But because of the respect and the friendship that he had developed with Jesus, he goes, okay, we'll do it. And they went out in the boat, and you know the story, right? It says... And when this was done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net was breaking. And they beckoned to their partners. Now, this was James and John, the other fishermen. And they came and filled both ships when Simon Peter saw it. Now, here's the point of change. Listen to this. This is verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet. And he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And so also was James and John, sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, unto Simon, fear not, from now you will catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, here's the point, they forsook all and followed him. It was not a one-time thing. Jesus didn't just walk along a lake and call two guys and they dropped their stuff and on their way they went. Why would the Son of God who has all power in the universe, takes so much time going out to the mountain, going to his home, going to his workplace, having him listen to a sermon, having him see a miracle. Why did he wait so long for that response? Well, see, God, God never violates your human will. He works with you. I hope it's an encouragement to you people. You want to be like Jesus? Don't give up in the process. It may mean going out in the, in the woods it may mean going to their home. It may mean going to their workplace. It may mean putting a CD and letting them hear a sermon. <laughs> Whatever. That's what Jesus did, right? Now, my creative imagination kind of runs wild here. Jesus was a carpenter. And we don't know where he lived, but he lived somewhere during this ministry time. I bet Jesus told those disciples, you want to see where I live? Come here. Let me show you my latest project. You know, I'm redoing this window. I'm putting on a porch. <laughs> I don't know. Think about it. He's a carpenter. He lives in, a, he lives in some place. 
certainly he would have talked to them about what he was doing. Natural, natural way to just meet people and share. That's what our Lord did. So when the devil comes to me with the first one, discouragement. Paul, you've talked to your neighbor. You've done this. Give it up. Say, I'm not giving it up. Jesus didn't give up. He didn't give up on point number two, on contact number two, number three. He went all the way. Distraction. When the devil comes and says, you know what? Kick back. You don't have to do that. You know what I'm encouraged to do? No, pick the high road. Pick the best. Go out of my way. It may not be convenient. It certainly wasn't convenient for Jesus to stay up all night at Peter's house. But he did it. Why? Because it was the best. And he had a goal in mind. He was here to minister to people and to make disciples. I want to encourage you all. Don't give up. Don't listen to the discouragement and the distraction of the devil. God will bless you. God will use you.